Hello, this is Donovan with the Solid Soul Podcast, coming to you for the very last time from the original Solid Soul Studio. How does it feel to be moving out, Drew? It feels wonderful and uh, a little bit scary, considering I haven't packed yet, but you you know how it goes. Well, sometimes when you're upgrading studios, you know, it's just the price that you have to pay. Today we'll be going over the Surprise Festival of 2016, Sound on Sound Fest, and Blank Face LP, as well as uh, debuting a new segment that's centered around some of the music that we've been listening to lately. But before we get into that, I believe you have something to say, Drew? Yeah, just want to give a shout out to our homie Kate Barrett, who did review us on iTunes. If you want a shout out on the podcast, give us a review too. It's the Solid Soul. Yeah, and that's one of the three things that you can do to best help us out. One of them is check out the website, where you can be found at thesolidsoul.com have content coming out every week. Um, and then also following us on Twitter at A Solid Soul. Um, and then the final thing is leaving a review. And if you do leave a review, we will eventually give you a shout out on the podcast. But first, let's uh, now get into Sound on Sound Fest, which has been kind of a big surprise for us this year, I think. Yeah, but for starters, um, we don't quite need a moment of silence, but we need a little bit of acknowledgement for the funeral of one of Austin's other beloved music festivals, and that's Fun 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 Fest. Um, if you haven't heard, I've got bad news for you. Fun 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 Fest probably doesn't exist anymore. At least for this year it doesn't exist, and it appears for a variety of reasons that that will also be the case for the foreseeable right, future. Right. So, if you haven't heard about Sound on Sound Fest, you're a little bit behind because Sound on Sound is born out of the same manager who created the company, the booking company that did Fun 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 Fest, right? And there was quite a bit of uncertainty about Fun Fun when the Austin City Council was playing hardball with Fun Fun Fest about the zoning and about whether or not they were going to be able to use their typical Auditorium Shores location for the festival, which is where Fun 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 Fest always found its home. Now, that company was sold. And after that company was sold, the same owner went and founded a new booking company and opened Sound on Sound Fest. Now, this is actually out in McDade, Texas, and the Pine Forest north of Bastrop in Bastrop County. So all indications based on that future kind of just says that Fun 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 Fest is dead. So so how does that feel, Donovan? I'm definitely in favor of pouring one out for Fun 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 Fest. One of uh, my very greatest concert experiences was seeing Nas play Omatic straight through. And just the idea that that festival that has you know, led to that experience, and a lot like it. I mean, they've done a lot of interesting things like that in the past. Right, right. It's just, I mean, it's a really big deal. Yeah, and I know a lot of other people who... Uh, more than anything, Fun 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 Fest seemed like a cultural installment here in Austin in the same way that other music festivals are. Now, it really does capture the urban feel of Austin as a music capital, which is really, really important for the entire persona there. Now, there are some benefits to moving out into the Bastrop County area, which we're going to get to later. But as far as Fun 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 Fest, it's definitely sad to see it go, um, even if we've got a pretty killer lineup for Sound on Sound. Yeah, I would really say, do. I would say that's the end of us raining on the parade here because this lineup and location should be awesome and a really great replacement, honestly, for the festival. So let's start by going over just some of the basics of what the festival is. So, like Drew said, it's in McDay, Texas, which is near Bastrop. 
about a half an hour or so outside of Austin. Right, right. The the traffic reports that uh, Sound on Sound is putting out says it's about 35 miles out. Now, that's probably 30 minutes, but, you know, that, that depends on how much you want to speed there, too. <laughs> I would say on festival day, if you were driving, you should probably give it about an hour. Um, but right, they're, they're right. going to be doing a lot of busing um, as well, which would be another way well, a and, lot of people can get and, from and so Austin to the festival. Part of it is that they're talking about mass transportation and having some shuttles that run out there. The other part of it is that they're actually offering camping, which is something that hasn't really been offered in the Austin, Austin music scene for major festivals. And, I mean, this isn't quite a top-tier festival by any means, but this is a very high-profile festival for what you'd expect for somebody's first year. Um, really impressive stuff. Yeah, and it's going to happen on November 4th, 5th, and 6th, so the you know usual Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I think anyone who's been to the Austin City Limits Music Festival will notice something very interesting about those days. <laughs> it is going to be a lot less hot. Yeah, and I mean, as much as I love drowning in sweat as much as anybody who goes to ACL, I mean, that's the biggest part of the experience, some would say. Um, I'm very much looking forward to the setting being nice and cool November air out in some pine forests, which just sounds incredible. That sounds great. And that's something it really has over a lot of other festivals that do camping is it's going to have an especially amenable camping location where people actually go camp normally. Festivals in Texas, that is. This, this seems like a good time to actually have good camping. <laughs> that is certainly the case. So I think we should probably, you know, jump right into the lineup, which, I mean, all of us here at Solid Soul are very excited about. Curious where you want to start with it, looking at the headliners. Where do you start? I mean, so for starters, with, like, absolute headliners, which are honestly pretty close to the next year, guys, it, you have Beach House, you have Explosions in the Sky, you have Fantagram, you have Run the Jewels, and you have Big Boy being there. Um, it also looks like there's a pretty solid chance that at least two of those groups release another album before this festival this year. Yes, I think that that is probably going to be the case. That being Run the Jewels and Big Boy. Um, and that would be, I mean, particularly interesting because on that list you actually have uh, a group of two people who work together pretty significantly. Fantagram and Big Boy uh, work right, together right. and put out an album. Um, under the moniker Big Grams, but also Run the Jewels is featured on that album as well yeah. at one point in time. So that's, that's certainly an interesting synergy going on at the top of the festival lineup. And so all things considered, it really is a very, very prolific lineup just in terms of how much content you really have there. I mean, Beach House has quite a few albums over the course of their career. Explosions in the Sky has five. Fantagram has quite a few. Run the Jewels and Big Boy have only had their respective solo and, and Run the Jewels case duo careers for a short period of time, but they've actually released out quite a bit of work over that time. So it's not like it's not like you have a headliner where at any point in this where it's not somebody that has just a lot of content to go off of. And, and that's something nice about the headliners to start off. But the next level guys are pretty great too. And that's the thing is we, we are cutting, you know, the headliners kind of arbitrarily and by ourselves. But, I mean, really there are only going to actually be three formal headliners, which would be on the biggest stage um, on the last, uh, at the end of each individual day. Um, but there just is, like, no clear tiers, really, all the way through almost the entire next level. Because then you get into Courtney Barnett, who could very easily, with her recent surge in popularity, have put on that same tier Good lord 
Uh, Mac DeMarco, who has a very big following, especially in this area, and then Death Grips and Young Thug. Just a really deep lineup. I mean, maybe you don't have the absolute most popular top line like you do at a festival like Austin City Limits this year, but what you have is a very deep top 10 to 15 bands. Well, yeah, I mean, like, look, look at ACL, for example. ACL has Kendrick. ACL has Radiohead. A- ACL has LCD Sound System. Each of those three artists is far better than any headliner on this list, just in terms of their popularity and acclaim. But this lineup is a lot more deep than the ACL lineup. It just is. It's more evenly distributed. That That is the biggest takeaway for me, is that it's almost like it like sniped that from ACL, because historically, ACL is a very deep right. lineup. And this year, that wasn't the case. It was much more top-heavy than right. any ACL much lineup, less. since I've been closely paying attention to the festival. And I think that's a pretty significant component of the festival. I mean, you can go all the way down the lineup, and you find people like Thundercat lower in the lineup, Car Seat Headrest, uh, Brian Bell of Weezer. Bayo, who made a stop to Waterloo. Bayo being a now solo artist, former, well, I guess still current member of Vampire Weekend. Um, there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on in this lineup from start to finish, and that's not something you can say of most music festivals. Like, I look down this lineup and look down at the bottom tier eight-point font guys, and, like, I know who many of them are. I'm able to see them and say, that is a legitimate artist. Car Seat Headrest is in the bottom tier of this lineup. Car Seat Headrest, who released one of the best albums this year so far. Um, I mean, you've got guys underbilled on here, not even necessarily because the festival is off or because the festival doesn't understand how good some of its acts are but because the festival is just so deep and has a lot of really strong supporting acts it's going to be a really good time so of the entire festival lineup what single artist are you the most excited to see probably courtney barnett um car seat headrest is maybe my favorite album from this year but Courtney Barnett's album last year was an absolute thrill, and I can imagine her putting on an incredible live show. I would say the there's basically a big four for me, which would be Run the Jewels, Big Boy, Courtney Barnett, and Car Seat Headrest. One of the things that makes me excited for Big Boy's set specifically is that in the past, now given this is about three years ago, he's done a decent amount of his portion of different Outcast songs, really? which would be... I mean, quite an interesting thing to see. Um, and I mean, he could, of course, do uh, his entire part of Speaker Box if he wanted to. Um, Very so true. Very there's true. always that. But he had also done some other, you know, outcast songs that normally Andre 3000 would be an integral part of. So what you're saying is we just need to find a way to replace Big Boy with Andre 3000 and see if we can get Andre 3000 to do outcast songs instead. <laughs> I think that we should get both of them and just run back ACL from two years ago. <laughs> but I, I, so Big Boy's pretty high up there. Run the Jewels is going to be, and I missed them at ACL actually last year. Um, so I will right. very much be excited to see them for the first time. And then Corny Barnett and Car Seat Headdress just play types of music that I feel like in very different ways will fit to a concert setting extraordinarily oh, yeah, absolutely. well. Absolutely. I mean, they both are going to fill up the space. 
So if you're up front for them, I think that you will get quieter performance. But also, if you're in the back for them, I think you'll have a different experience. But very much, they are the kind of acts that can do both of those things. And if you're in the middle, who knows? <laughs> Could be anything. I've never really been in the middle of a music festival. I normally go all out or hang back. <laughs> <laughs> and the best news, perhaps, about all of this is that it's not an ACL cost. It's $169 for the whole festival. Um, so you can get general admission three-day passes for 169 and that is just a great price for this lineup, honestly. And they have promised that uh, there will be student discounts to come, so if you're a student right. in the area, you can certainly wait for that. But, I, I mean, it's definitely a festival that we will be going to. Um, and today, actually, they released the day-by-day lineup, so we can, you know, look at that, and you can see if you want to buy a one-day pass what you know day would be the best for you and there's definitely some pretty stacked days in particular i think the first day is a pretty interesting one i think day one's interesting because you have fantagram and run the jewels going um and then you have descendants and guided by voices i'd also like to see thundercat thundercat's one of the sleepers on this list and, and he's going on friday but for me actually i'm much much more excited on sunday um but also a little bit disappointed that i can't see everybody like, I'm going to be sad that I can't see Explosions in the Sky, Courtney Barnett, Death Grips, and Young Thug all on the same day. You can't do it, and I wish I could. Yeah, that's... I mean, they will definitely be going at the same time. You can't win! Because they're... So, the way that Sound on Sound has announced today that they're going to set up is they will have three different music stages. Um, so, we can't be sure exactly how many of them will have an actual headliner, but I would guess two, probably. Presumably two. That's pretty customary. So, on Friday, you would have Fantagram and Run the Jewels as the two headliners. Saturday, Beach House and Purity Ring. And Sunday, Explosions in the Sky and Courtney Barnett. As far as headliners, I would say, clearly, Sunday would be the one to be the most excited about. But the problem is, you can't go to both. But, but who's the opening act on Sunday? What does... Does Death Grips open for Courtney Barnett? <laughs> I would I mean, either Death Grips or Young Thug will have to open for each of them. <laughs> My point is that doesn't make sense. It is actually a pretty strange pairing when you right? look at it. It is certainly not, you know, the way that a lot of music festivals would right, set up right. these things. I mean, for all we know, they're going to split it up among three stages, though. So who who really knows for sure? Yeah, no, I think that there's... I mean, I'm very curious to see whenever they actually do release the um, schedule for the day, and I think that that'll be something that is a pretty good ways off. Right, um, right. But I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on, and I mean, if, if you like this lineup as much as we do, I definitely think it would be a festival worth investing in. Now, of course, if you want to camp, that that is a, a separate uh, price, and you should right, check right. on their website to see you know, what you want to do as far as that, but very much is a lineup that I think that we're excited about. So to move on from Sound on Sound Fest, which is a very exciting new festival in the area, to someone who's actually going to play this year at ACL, um, let's talk about Blank Face LP by Schoolboy Q, which came out about three weeks ago now. So the first thing I think we should get into is just how this fits in with Schoolboy Q's past aesthetic. I feel like it makes a lot of sense in terms of this album particularly, in terms of what Schoolboy Q has 
led most of his career as. Whenever I hear a new Schoolboy Q song, every time I hear a new Schoolboy Q song released, it always sounds like he's just specifically making this song to just ride out to in your car that's just going to meander along for a long highway drive. You know, you might fall asleep to it. Who knows? Not in a bad way, but just in a very casual style that flows very, very smoothly. He has a very smooth style, and that's how he's done his entire career. And that is exactly how Blank Face feels to me. Yeah, you're definitely driving with the top down. Oh, absolutely. Letting the people hear. No, I think that that's very true. And I mean, it's interesting that it is both that kind of music, but also, I mean, it is... Cluttered isn't the right word. It's very textural. Like, it is very textural beats. It, I mean, all Schoolboy Q's discography does. It's almost kind of, like, grungy as right. well. I mean, there's a dark element to it that you don't always see. Like, if you listen to... And this would be a really interesting pairing, actually, to listen to back-to-back. If you were to listen to Chance's album and then this one in a <laughs> row, I mean, you couldn't really juxtapose two good albums from this year. Any more than those two. Right, right. Well, and, and something interesting about Schoolboy Q as far as this goes is that he still has the acclaim and still has the popularity to get lar- big-time features. Like, if you remember Collard Greens with Kendrick, Kendrick's verse on Collard Greens, which for starters is excellent because it's Kendrick, just stands out from the entire Schoolboy Q aesthetic. Um, so much that it, his buddy Kendrick isn't even on this album at all. Which is interesting. It's very interesting because they're very, very close and both from Compton and have very, very related careers at this point. However, on Schoolboy Q's newest album, Blank Face, he still has big time features. You get certainly an interesting Kanye verse, which also contrasts everything on the album. It's just he very much has his own very, very casual style that is very, very much smooth and doesn't specifically emphasize a lot of things it really doesn't it is just a very consistent style which in some ways i wish that there was more dynamism with it but a lot of times there isn't and a lot of times it's just very very consistent from song to song and the beats are excellent the beats on this album are just really really good well and i think that's where he improved the most from oxymoron to blank face lp is that i think that the beats are uniformly better well right because he's he's the same artist and the aesthetic still makes sense um he's still releasing these songs that just sound like very simple anthems that people are going to be able to keep up with in a very simple and very effective way which is what he is by far best at um but the beats are just really really good which is a really good time and that's definitely true and i think that one thing that's important to talk about is how, I mean, he is getting a little bit more sophisticated over time, and I think the best example of that is something that I actually wrote about this week, which is the song Groovy Tony slash Eddie Kane, which is split into two parts. I mostly on this song just want to talk about the Jadakiss verse, which is one of the funnier verses of the entire year, and it very much feels intentional, but it's very difficult to be sure. (laughs) I mean, what, what else can we say? I mean, he's he's getting high watching NBA League Pass. There's that, which is one of the highlights. <laughs> there is the part of it where he says that he is, and topically with NBA League Pass, running a three-man weave <laughs> with the Lord and the Devil. And I guess it kind of makes sense that, you know, old-timey people like the Lord and the Devil might, you know, run an offense with Princeton <laughs> concepts, but... I mean, but... Sure, it, it's a hilarious verse. 
But does it not feel weird at all to you that on such a serious song you have this verse? And I mean, it's it's just such an enigma of an album in the same way that Q really is an enigma of a rapper. If you haven't watched any Schoolboy Q interviews, stop listening to this podcast now and go listen to some. Because these interviews really show how much of an interesting guy Schoolboy Q is. And just generally, some of his more interesting views that really do show throughout his music, too. I think that's definitely true. He's an extraordinarily interesting person. And I feel like he's someone who is going to continue to make music at at least this level. And I think that that's something that's certainly interesting to talk about is how does he take the next step from where he is now? It it feels like it could be a dead end. Honestly, I'm a little sad to say this, but it does feel a bit like a plateau to me for Schoolboy Q. Because the thing is, he spent his entire career being this consistent and largely focusing on this aesthetic, which is very good. But I don't feel like he's one of the most incredible rappers in the game. I feel like he's a very, very interesting guy to listen to. But part of what makes it hard for me to believe that he goes up from here is that the biggest thing that needs to happen is he needs to be incredibly ambitious and he needs to have a lot more variety in his music, which just isn't something that we've seen him do so far. On most of his albums, the variety comes from his guest features and you can't take the next step just by having good features. It's not gonna happen like that. Um, I would love to see him take that step and really switch up his style in a way that would help him. I'm just not sure it's going to happen. Not yet, at least. Yeah, and don't get us wrong. Like, if he kept making albums this good, like, that's better than the vast majority of artists in the world can manage. It would be great. This is a great album. However, there's certainly room for different sonic qualities to be present on these albums, and I think that that's something that there is a real chance that we might actually hear at some point. I mean, he has said in interviews recently that he wants to make a pop album, now, to him, a pop album means making more songs like Collard Greens, which might not be exactly what your average crazy-in-love Beyonce fans might think of as a pop no, song. I, I think he's just going to start doing Taylor Swift covers. Yeah, he'd be like the fourth one. <laughs> but I, I think that the final thing is just to, like, where does this album rank for you among the albums this year? Ooh. It's... It's not one of the top tier albums for me. It's not. But is it close to Coloring Book? Sailor's Guide? Yeah, it is. You know, it, it is one of my more favorite albums this year. It's not my favorite album this year. But it is a very interesting album. And it's really consistent. And almost to a fault, because it's consistent over an hour and ten minutes, which, you know, I wish it was shorter, but that's okay. Um, it really is a lot of value, and it's worth listening to. Absolutely. I definitely think it's worth listening to. Actually, those are the two albums that I had also thought of, which is Sailor's Guide and Coloring Book, as being comps, obviously not in subject matter or you know how the albums sound, but just in quality. I think that they're in the same conversation and kind of like a second-tier kind of level. Um, and I think that that really is, I mean, a, a step forward for Schoolboy Q, and I think that where his career goes from here is going to be very interesting. He's, he's looking at us with the blank face. What else can we say? I think Jadakiss might have a lot more to say. If only. Alright, so the last thing that we want to get to today is a segment that I think that we're both pretty excited about and will be a recurring segment, if not every podcast, then a decent number of them, which is just going to be a segment about the albums that we've been listening to lately. 
And we don't mean albums like Blank Face from this year, but more albums going at least a little bit further back, stuff that we've been listening to or remembering or having thoughts about, you know, where it places now that we've had a little bit more time to think about it. So for me, the album that I've been listening to lately and thinking a lot about is White Blood Cells, which is a White Stripes album from 2002, I believe. Um, I could be off a year or two on that. Um, and so first I wanted to talk about, you know, some of the high points of it for me. And to me, the best song on the album is going to be this song that most people tell you is the best song probably. And the one that really put them on the map, which is Fell in Love with a Girl. And the thing about that song that is the most interesting to me is just the incredible amount of energy that it brings. I mean, two minutes of just sheer delightful energy. Um, it's really incredible that a band, and it doesn't surprise me that much coming from Jack White and the White Stripes, but it's incredible that a band is able to fit that much energy and that much music into just two minutes. It's so short and it is so worth your time. It is great, great stuff. Um, it really is one of the more interesting straight-up rock songs we've heard this century. There aren't a lot of songs that go about it in the way that it does. And if you hadn't thought about the lyrics in that song, I mean, there is very clever stuff going on, even okay. inside of the two minutes. And I, I told you this about a week ago, which is that, I mean, you could double that song, and by double it, I mean you could play it twice in a row, and it wouldn't <laughs> remotely suffer as a four-minute song that is actually just a carbon copy of itself. It wouldn't, and you can't say that a lot about a lot of songs. So what else do you have in terms of White Blood Cells stacking up with other albums? Specifically, I guess, Elephant, which is the White Stripes' most well-known album. So what I thought think is the most interesting across the entire album about White Blood Cells is it is the last time that you really get in their career consistently just the incredibly quirky side of the White Stripes, which is, to me, the most endearing part. I mean, you look at a song like Hotel Yorba, which is just a hilarious song that really is incomparable to what most rock albums would put out, and you just get the blues element a lot more. You get kind of a folksy element to that song. It's probably my favorite song to listen to about hotels <laughs> well and neither of us are sitting here arguing with the other side of the white stripes which is very very serious you know i mean seven nation army is one of the best songs this century incredible incredible unbelievable song but it's not the same it's not the same as the type of stuff you get on white blood cells it's not playful it's a very serious song that we now hear in sports stadiums all across the world and and that's worth something. It's worth something that the white that White Blood Cells really is just a different type of album for one of the more important rock groups of this year. Yeah, it's I'm certainly years. I'm certainly not arguing that White Blood Cells should be the album that the White Stripes are remembered for. Elephant is definitely a better album. Right. The rock elements on White Blood Cells, especially, are for the most part, other than fell in love with the girl. I would say offend in every way. Um, and maybe one or two other songs are significantly less effective. But you have songs like Hotel Yorba, which is incredibly quirky and fun and just something that will really stick with you. You have uh, We're Going to Be Friends, which of course was the opening to Napoleon Dynamite. You have... Clearly the, it's claim to fame. <laughs> Clearly. You have its 45... Uh, you have the 45 second about song called Little Room, which is hilarious and about how if you play music well enough in a little room you're gonna need to get a bigger room 
And then once you're in that bigger room, you're going to have to spend all your time remembering what it was like to be in the little room so you can be an effective musician, which is a lot of conceptual things happening in 45 seconds. He's not wrong. Um, And then you have The Union Forever, which is basically the White Stripes' Violent Femme song, which is a very strange thing to have on the album, but it also works incredibly well. Um, you just have a lot of different elements. You hear the blues part of the white uh, of the white stripes. You hear the um, bluegrass part of the white stripes. You hear all of these different elements that you just would not hear nearly as much later in their career. And I think that's just it, it's just a really fun, interesting album, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot for that reason. So I think that you to, had to jump totally across the pond here. <laughs> Um, I have been listening a lot to actually D'Angelo's album from 2014, Black Messiah. And funny thing about Black Messiah is if you blinked at the end of 2014, you might have missed it. Because we went through 2014, which was an incredibly disappointing year in music. Incredibly disappointing. Not very many good album releases that year. And then you make it to the album end of the year. I want to say it was December 15th, actually. Sounds right to me. Uh, D'Angelo dropped Black Messiah and all the critics said oh my god it's music in 2014 it still exists and it was D'Angelo who hadn't released an album for 15 years and he releases this surprise album in the midst of really really intensifying animosity between the Black Lives Matter movement and police and releases this album that is largely about, about black exceptionalism and is largely about a lot of the themes that D'Angelo has handled in his past music as well, that really made the best album that year in my eyes. Now, you talk about D'Angelo, and D'Angelo does not have by any means a prolific career. He's released three albums over the course of 20 years, and every time he releases one of these albums, they're complete brilliance. You have Voodoo in 2000, which is undeniably his best work. Undeniably. And you have Brown Sugar in 94, which is really, really great stuff, but... At the same time, Black Messiah, revisiting it, is my second favorite D'Angelo album. And that got me thinking, you really don't have a lot of artists with a second best album as good as Black Messiah. Before we get into that, there's one thing about the release of it I want to say, which is that because he's not been very prolific throughout his career, there's a lot of people who would really love him that don't necessarily know a lot about him. Oh, absolutely. But there is also a significant segment of people for whom... Because it, it was announced three days before December 15th that the album would come out, and all that he released with that was the album name, so Black Messiah. And there was an entire segment of the internet that actually completely shut down for three days in anticipation. And just how much he means to a certain group of people, many of whom are actually music writers or pop culture writers is really significant and I think that it would be great if everyone revisited Black Messiah or visited for the first time so they could get to know him better. Well and especially in this current climate with the way that 2016 has gone in terms of black music and in terms of just generally how black culture is reflected in terms of violence with police this year, Black Messiah is an album that absolutely has to be revisited. Um, And it's worth remembering that D'Angelo is an artist who's released maybe 40 to 50 studio songs on albums throughout his career. And he's also just one of the most respected artists in the music community. One of my absolute favorite artists of all time, hands down. So, 
um, as Drew was previously referring to, we we had a a pretty significant conversation earlier this week among the Solid Soul staff about what artists have two album have a second album that is as good or better than Black Messiah. We had to limit it to the 2000s because these kind of things tend to get out of control. However, the list is just not very long. Well, and that's the thing that's interesting about D'Angelo specifically and about this type of discussion in general is it's really interesting to hone in on the best artists of a generation by talking about how, what about how good their second best album is because there are a lot of artists with an incredible best album. Somebody's best album can be really, really good and then not have a good second best album. Um, and we really struggled to come up with 10 names that had a second best album as good as Black Messiah, which really is a testament to how good it is. I think we came up with seven that we could agree on. Right. As a group. I mean, what, you've got the Kanye's, the Radioheads, Arcade Fires, um, Kendrick, certainly. You know, you've got, you've got guys, but you don't have a lot not by any means. And I don't think that you... I don't think that there is many artists with just a bigger impact between the amount of work that they've released, uh, just ratio, the amount of work they've released, and the actual impact they've had on just high-level listening of music. Right, and it's also just important to recognize that if you are a fan of just black music in general. If you're a fan of soul music from way back when, if you're a fan of R&B, if you're a fan of funk, D'Angelo borrows from those better than actually any contemporary artist I've ever listened to. Um, He just does such an incredible job of paying homage to the best black artists of his generation, which he he and Questlove, who's a longtime collaborator, actually refer to as Yoda's. Um, don't ask me why, but he, he refers to legendary black artists as Yodas, and he really does them justice every single track, and 20 years from now, we're going to be talking about him as one of them, too. Yeah, and I think that's about wraps us up here with the Solid Soul podcast. Just to reiterate, you should check us out on thesolidsoul.com. Um, you give us a review on iTunes, we will shout you out at the beginning of one of our shows. And also, check us out on Twitter at asolidsoul.com. Give us a follow. Those are the three things you can do to best help us out, help us grow, get more popularity, get more people listening, and we can put out more content like that. We can, you know, get better things to record the podcast. And perhaps more importantly to you, how else are you going to win the free merchandise? Check it out.